what's more effective, a well-trained person with no equipment or a well-equipped person with no training? Well, in certain cases, I'd have to say that a person with proper training can get by with minimal equipment. But ideally, you'd like to have both. Lads to leaders. Now, Lads to Leaders is known as a program, but I'd like to describe it as a process. You see, the name is the process. You take lads, young people, and you mature them into leaders. The process of lads becoming leaders is about both equipment and training. Young people are equipped with values. They are equipped with philosophy, and they are equipped with special skills. Lads to Leaders is not just learning to do, but in reality, it's doing to learn. And as people participate in the Lads to Leaders program, they become well-trained and well-equipped to be the future leaders. And church leaders or community leaders, it, it produces leadership qualities in young people. The Lads to Leaders program is the legacy of Dr. Jack Zorn, who invented the program. If you're interested in participating in Lads to Leaders, ladstoleaders.com. If you're interested in learning more about it, you can contact Rhonda Fernandez, 321-202-7600, 321-202-7600, ladstoleaders.com. Producing leaders in the church, in the future, in the young people of today. Keeping up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure is sponsored by SJL General Contractors. SJL General Contractors is licensed in both Alabama and Tennessee. This family-owned business provides mass grading, storm drainage, sewer and concrete improvement, asphalt paving, erosion control, demolition, and heavy hauling. If you're in need of any of these services, you can contact them at 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660. If you'd like to be employed by this family-owned company, three W's and a dot, sjnl.com, www.sjnl.com. With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty, that good ship and crew was a bone to be chewed when the gales of November came early. It was May the 26, 2006. I was standing at the bottom of a ropes course tower, and the words, the, the Teflon smooth voice, of Gordon Lightfoot was running over and over in my mind. And, and and why I was obsessed or possessed with the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, I, I don't know. I, I don't believe in precognition. I don't believe in psychic ability. But here I am thinking about a boat wreck. Now, I've had my share of boat wrecks. I was uh, in the summer of 1984. I lived in Alexander City, Alabama, and spent an incredible amount of time on the water with Don Kelly. Don had been given, for the use of the summer, a Ski Supreme uh, boat, and we. I, he taught me to he taught me to barefoot water ski. One beautiful afternoon, we were there, and Don looked at his girlfriend Tracy and said, "Hey, Tracy, take the boat over to the dock and fill it up with gas." Uh, Lonzo, you and Avery go with her. 
And so we hopped in the boat and she took off. This was a 540 horsepower ski supreme. As we were going across the the crystal clear waters of Lake Martin, we we met a boat. Now we were in the middle, the boat was on our right and there was a jetty of land sticking out on our left. The boat went past the little outcropping of land before we did and his soil or his backwash or whatever it was hit that bank and bounced off and came back. And as we went through it, our boat rose up on it and I could hear the inboard motor begin to whine at a terrible high pitch and the boat began to drift like it was pivoting on a pivot sideways and head toward the land. And I had the idea that, hey, when this, when, when the propeller of this boat digs back in this water, we're going to be thrust. We're going to be propelled, no pun intended, into the bank. And I backflipped. I rolled over the back of the boat. I was sitting in the back on the couch and rolled over the, the back. And when I came up, the boat was sitting in the trees. Several pine trees had been cut in half. Uh, Avery was treading water, and the girl Tracy was floating in the water and I swam over and I'm not a strong swimmer but I swam over and luckily enough there was there was not deep enough water that my head was submerged another boat had seen this happen they came over and and I and, and Tracy was a tiny little thing I picked her up over my head and just laid her into the boat I grabbed Avery and 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 drug him out and then crawled up into the the brambles and the brush uh, ducked under the pine tree that was sticking through the windshield of the boat and and killed the engine that was still whining. Yeah, that was that was my first boat wreck. And so I'm sitting here. I'm working a ropes course group on May the 26th. And when I get through this ropes course group and I rappel off the tower and put the toys away, I'm going to drive 90 miles and meet a guy named Daryl Pickle. Now, I deer hunted with Daryl Pickle, and I've done some things in youth groups with Daryl Pickle, but I'd never been bow fishing. And I'm going to go with Daryl Pickle, and, and, and when the when it gets dark, we're going to get on this boat, and we're going to float around in the Tennessee River, and, and we're going to shoot fish with our bows and arrows. For whatever reason, I'm singing in the back of my mind all day this song about this boat that sinks and disappears, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And, and although that may be random and kind of entertaining, I also had in the back of my mind a, a gentleman from our church. And just a couple of years before, these gentlemen had been out either in a bass tournament or maybe crappie fishing because I think the weather had been cold. And their boat had turned over, and this older gentleman from church had tried to hold himself onto the turned-over boat. And, and I don't know all the details of the story. I, I wasn't close enough friends with the family that I ever got all the details. But as best as I could surmise from the people that were involved, this old gentleman either just went to sleep or the cold water got to him, and he slipped away from that boat and was never never seen again. And I couldn't get him out of my mind. And I'm here working with this ropes course group, and, and we fed them their, their sandwiches, our box lunches from either Quiznos or Subway, and we did the low course, and we did the high course, and we packed everybody up. And I jumped in my vehicle and ran, drove up to Florence to meet my friend. When I pulled up, the, the directions had said to meet at a restaurant, and I got to the restaurant, and the restaurant was what everybody called the restaurant, but it had been closed. Well, I was intending to eat supper there. I, I, I 
struggled some with low blood sugar. And uh, if I don't eat regularly, sometimes I don't function properly. And, and so I pulled up in this this abandoned restaurant where I'm going to meet this guy. Well, now I, I don't have anything. I'm supposed to stay up all night or at least half a night with these guys and, and trying to shoot fish in the river. And as disgusting as it is, I opened up the trash bag in the back of my truck and I found some of the Subway sandwiches that had not been eaten. And I grabbed a couple of pieces of bread and wolfed them down. And that was going to have to suffice. My friend showed up with two young men in his boat. And again, I've never been bow fishing. I have been in some ski boats. I've been in some bass boats. I've been in an airboat. This was a, a, your traditional bass boat, but it had been modified. And, and by the word modified, I'm thinking of a wily coyote with traumatic brain injury. This thing had had been modified, and they'd added a plywood deck to it with a a pedestal like made out of wood, and somebody had put a monster generator in the back behind the driving console, and this was our bow fishing rig. Well, lo and behold, it worked just fine. You could stand up there on that on that uh, plywood platform and have stable shooting. And as we drifted around near the bank and in the cattails, we were murdering some fish. Uh, I, I picked picked up quickly how to shoot fish with a bow, especially in shallow water. And so we were filling up a trash can full of fish pretty easy, one of those big uh, gray Rubbermaids. And then at some point, I had to go home. I had to leave early. I, I don't remember exactly why I couldn't stay out all night, but I couldn't stay out all night. I probably could have stayed out all night. Jackie was in uh, in Indianapolis at a volleyball tournament. But so we decided to go home. And and we turned the boat around, and, and we'd been fishing in super shallow water. You'd shoot at a fish and miss it, and you could see the arrow sticking out of the water. But we've got to go back across the main river channel to get into the, the place where we docked and undocked the boat. And as we're putting across this uh, lake, I'm sitting in, in the back like I typically do in a boat. And something stopped the boat. I don't know if we hooked a cable. I don't know if we caught a fish tramp. I don't know if the uh, mud Sasquatch from the Tennessee River, but something stopped this boat. And as the boat was going forward and suddenly stopped moving, all the water that was being displaced by our boat came in over the back of that uh, outboard motor like a tidal wave, drenched me, and the boat started to stand up in the water. I'm not a strong swimmer. I grabbed an igloo cooler and began to try to climb the boat. Uh, I don't know if I was climbing the boat or it just felt like I was climbing because it was like a treadmill. And in just a few seconds, the boat's gone. And I'm floating here in the Tennessee River with a cooler. I paddled over uh, and and dumped the fish out of the trash can and turned it upside down and trapped an air pocket and told the two young men to stand on the handles or the rim of the trash can and hold their hold hands and encircle it so that they could bob and float and not be in the water. Uh, I think maybe one of the young men was attempting to go into shock. Uh, you could smell fuel in the water because we submerged the generator as well. I couldn't see Pickle, and so I pushed my way over toward him because I thought he was in trouble, I couldn't see him, but he swims like a barracuda. He was bobbing back and forth, going back down to the bottom, and he had unlatched the uh, container in the boat to free some flotation cushions and to tie a life jacket to a rope so we could mark where the boat went under. A life jacket. Now, there's a novel idea. 
I'm not a strong swimmer, and for whatever reason, I had not put on a life jacket. One of those things, uh, the boat captain didn't want to insult me and go, hey, you need to wear a life jacket. I didn't want to insult the boat captain and say, hey, man, where's my life jacket? And, and both of us, we call it the Abilene Paradox. I'll explain that sometime later. But both of us assumed the other one was okay, and, and neither one of us liked the idea that we weren't wearing life jackets. And here I am in the middle of the Tennessee River floating on an igloo cooler. I had sang about the Edmund Fitzgerald in my mind. I had thought about the brother who slipped away off of a capsized boat and drowned. When I got out of the truck that afternoon, I took my pager. I never took my pager off. I took my pager off, and I took uh, my knife off, and I said, you know, if, if I go in the water tonight, I don't want these things to get wet. And like I say, I don't believe in premonitions and I don't believe in, cogn- in, in precognition. But I, I got in the water expecting to get in the water. Well, after I paddled over to try to, to deal with pickle, uh, I, I got caught in a current. And, and I guess, I, I don't understand currents in the river, but I began to float away from these guys. And I'm holding on to my little igloo cooler, and I'm wearing combat boots. I'm wearing the boots I wore to the to the ropes course, and because the current is stronger than it was where I was, I did not have the ability to kick my feet and go back to where I wanted to be. And I'm drifting away from these guys. Now this is past midnight, and I can see where they are, but but I'm drifting away from them, and it dawns on me, I can't get back to these guys. And then I began to seriously think about, okay, you hadn't had really anything to eat. You ate a bad lunch because you had bread, and bread metabolizes with with low blood sugar like sugar. And I've stepped out on this dock, and, and since I didn't have supper, I just ate a piece of bread. And I said, you know what? At some point tonight, you're going to you're going to go to sleep. The, the the meal you've eaten is not going to sustain you, and you're going to get super, super sleepy. And when you do, you're going to lose control of this little cooler you've got, and you're just going to go to sleep and slip off into the water. That's a, that's a terrible, helpless feeling. Well, then it dawned on me that if I could get my boot string and I could tie it in an endless loop, and then twist it like a figure eight and put it over my shoulder, then I could take the other boot string and tie myself to my cooler. Then I could float there if I passed out or went to sleep or my blood sugar dropped. And at some point, somebody is bound to find me or something's going to get me either way. You know, either you sink to the bottom and the turtles eat you or you bob around there like a fishing jug and the turtles eat you. But I was unwilling to just give up and slide off into the water. So, I'm trying to work it out where I can manipulate my bootstring and trying to hold on to my cooler, and I really don't want to lose my cooler. And in my frustration, I jammed my arm into the cooler, and and I made a wedge. Well, it turned out that with my arm wedged in the cooler, I could use my other arm to push and to paddle, and I pushed myself back over to the guys and uh, we found a, a, a life jacket, and I put it on and, and held my myself out of the water with the life jacket and the cooler, and we're floating there in the darkness. <laughs> At some point, we saw the lights of a guy checking a trot line, 
And we began to splash and make noise. And the guy floated over and said, what happened? And we said, our boat sank. He said, I'll be back. And he left us and came back. Instead of being in a flat bottom aluminum boat, he came back in a pontoon boat. And he began, we, we let the boys get out of the water first, and then Pickle got out of the water. And I was talking, I guess I was nervous being in the water that long. And uh, so, you know, I'm getting into this guy's pontoon, but it's pitch black dark out on the Tennessee River. This guy has navigation lights, but n- nothing else. And he said, man, your voice sounds familiar. <laughs> and, and I said, well, uh, uh, are you involved in education at all? He no, no. I said, do you worship anywhere? He goes, no. And so he wouldn't recognize my voice as a minister or someone who consults with education. I said, you ever been involved in law enforcement? And he yells, you're the SWAT preacher. (laughs) And this guy had attended the Huntsville Police Academy and for whatever reason did not continue as a police officer, I think because of maybe a, a, a high blood pressure issue. But he recognized my voice in the middle of the darkness in the Tennessee River. And he pulled us out of the river, and then he rescued us. We got back to the dock and had securely marked where the boat was so it could be salvaged later. And I shook hands with the guys and hugged everybody, and I got in my truck. When I got in my truck, I grabbed the cell phone that I'd left in the truck because I didn't want it to get wet in case I went in the water. I don't believe in premonitions or precognition. And I dialed Jackie's number. Now, it's way past midnight. It's 1 o'clock or 1.30 in the morning, maybe even closer to 2. And she's at a volleyball tournament in Indianapolis, and she answers the phone. And you don't, Miss Jones doesn't wake up well. She loves to sleep. She considers napping an activity. And I call her at 2 a.m. now on what would be Saturday, May the 27th. And she says, hello. And I said, hey, baby, I just... I just really needed to hear your voice. Well, okay, Jones, I love you. And I told her I loved her and I hung up. In less than 10 minutes, my phone rang again. She said, what is going on? Now she was awake and I told her I'd had a little boat accident and that when I was out there floating in the river and, and deciding that I might not be able to get back and was going to create this thing out of my bootstrings to keep myself alive. Really, really, what I was thinking about, I was going to miss most was I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't hear her voice. I, I can't tell you what a source of stability that angelic little voice has been in my life. Reaching over at every church service that I've ever spoken at that she's been present when she leans over and says, do a good job. Or when she walks up after some event and hugs you and as you're hugged, she whispers in your ear, I'm proud of you. I hear her voice when she says, Lonnie Jones, and she sticks her teeth together and only her lips move. And I know I've gotten on her last nerve and I've done something inappropriate to tease her and I love it. I woke up from surgery in Anniston, Alabama, and they field dressed me like a deer. 
and I had a catheter in and it, it gave the sensation that, that I needed to do something. And so I decided I was just going to get up and go do it. And of course, my eyes are closed and I've got tubes in my mouth and tubes in my nose. And I'm trying to raise up and these tiny, tiny little nurse hands are trying to hold me down. And I'm not exactly someone you can actually hold down, but these little hands are pushing at me and it's Mr. Jones, Mr. Lonnie, and they're pushing and I, and I can feel the resistance, but I'm going to stand up and I'm going to go to the bathroom. And just out of the chaos is the single word, Jones, and, and her voice. And I immediately relaxed and laid down. The nurses laughed about it all week and would, would relish telling the story. I start out the day listening to Gordon Lightfoot's smooth voice. A guy in a river recognizes my voice. I've been on some podcasts before I had my own podcast. And, and at some point, something I had done and, and my picture got displayed along with my voice. And a guy named Mike Bushby said, that is the melodiously soothing voice of Lonnie Jones. And it looks just like I thought he would. And I've never heard my voice described as melodious and soothing. In fact, that a, a speaking thing one time, a little boy, uh, Luke, uh, came up and asked me. It was uh, Luke Johnson. And he, he said, Mr. Lonnie, can I ask you a question? And I said, yes. He said, are you the voice of Daffy Duck? <laughs> dad was super embarrassed, thought I'd be sensitive about my melodiously smooth and soothing voice. <laughs> but that voice, not my voice and not Gordon Lightfoot's voice, but I just wanted to hear Jackie's voice. Everybody needs a voice. They need a voice in their life that says, I'm proud of you. I love you. Good job. It's okay. It's, it's not okay. A voice of praise and encouragement and accountability. Children need to hear a voice that says, this is my son who makes A's. This is my son who makes C's. This is my daughter who plays this sport. This is my daughter who is involved in this. They, they need a voice that doesn't describe them in their activity, but their identity is this is my son, this is my daughter, this is my spouse, this is my friend. You need a voice that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And everybody needs a voice like that in their life. And if there's a voice that gives you that comfort and encouragement, if there's that voice, you know how recognizable it is, and you know how valuable it is, and, and you know how beautiful it is. I remember watching the little tiny kids play t-ball. And Lonnie Beth played t-ball on a little team called the Navy Seals. And our logo was a navy blue seal, the Navy Seal, get it? So I had a bunch of little girls that I'd talked into being Navy Seals from my t-ball team. Actually, it was Jackie was the coach. I was the assistant coach. But they stand up there 
on those tiny little legs with those oversized helmets and those overlong bats, and they smacked that little ball off the tee, and every voice in the world yelled, Run! And some of them run to third base, and some of them run to the pitcher's mound, and some of them run back to the dugout. But if you ever see that little one who knows the first base coach, and the first base coach may be his dad or his mom, but in all the chaos with everybody yelling and the coaches yelling at the other kids to get the ball, and all the chaos going to hear that one voice, and they choose that voice out of all the crowd, and they run to first base. In the chaos. In the disasters. In the boat wrecks of our life, we need that one voice. A voice that we listen for. The voice that we listen to. And the voice that we run toward. And one day the voice might say, well done. Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure is sponsored by Grappling With Life, Controlling Your Inside Space, a book about physical, spiritual, and emotional self-defense available on Amazon. Also, be sure and check out 550 Guys on Facebook. That's a little website or a Facebook page dedicated to the little rope men that we invented several years ago, made out of paracord or 550 cord. Uh, Check them out and see if you'd like to order one or even look at the tutorial where it shows you how to make your own. Uh, Please subscribe to the links. Please like us. Please share and help us make our podcast popular so maybe somebody will sponsor us we don't have to sponsor ourselves. Thank you again for listening to Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure.